The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I asked Oksana, how does she move forward? She told me that everyone is a hunter. Some hunt for love. Some hunt for independence. Or for a sense of purpose. Some simply hunt for the truth. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be we are joined once again by Dr. Salim Mansour, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Western Ontario, who, as we concluded our conversation at the end of last week's show, suggested that this week we will begin a journey moving forward. Forward right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Salim, welcome back. I guess we're going to be continuing our conversation from last week. And your last comment was that this time around we're going to be moving forward. And how do we move forward in this age of, uh, I don't know, it's starting to look like bad news or is it going to be good news? I don't know. Going to make any predictions? (laughs) Well, thank you, um, Bob, for inviting me to join you once again and to pick up where we left off. I mentioned and read a portion from Colonel Fletcher Prouty's book, JFK, on his conversation with the president's son, Elliot Roosevelt, also a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force at the time, who had accompanied his father, that is President Franklin Roosevelt, to Yalta for the conference in February 1945, the second big conference between Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. And um, Elliot uh, Roosevelt was introduced by his father to Stalin. And then, a few months later, as the story I read in, Elliot Roosevelt met with uh, Colonel Prouty, on his way to Moscow, and on his way back, he spoke with Prouty, and Prouty asked him what was it all about. And the story was told that Stalin wanted to meet with Elliot regarding his father's death and expressed to Elliot that his father had been murdered. Yeah, that was kind of a haunting revelation. Exactly. Now, whether this thing is taken as something plausible, real, that had happened, or as something that Stalin planted in the mind of Elliot and, you know, through Elliot got the story out is open to question because I haven't found 
other sources for hmm. the story or give credibility to the story but the fact of the matter is that Elliot Roosevelt was the president's son he knew Colonel Prouty served the White House on deputation from the United States Air Force to be the pilot for the very important personality primarily the president and his entourage who he flew during the war that is president franklin roosevelt and then after the war he served in the white house again on deputation from the air force with truman and later with eisenhower in the same capacity so these are very interesting personalities in their own right so taking that into account well, d- just in case anyone missed last week's show the basic bottom line was that it was insinuated that Roosevelt was poisoned right technically or, or, by or, the so-called deep state correct and that I brought it out because in the context of the world that we are living in now we can now see very openly clearly that the people have been fed lies 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 and misinformation designed by the deep state to not only confound and confuse the people but to keep them ignorant of what the deep state has been doing mm-hmm. and it goes all the way back now we can see to the post roosevelt era that is the end of the second world war and everything that has happened since then i mean president eisenhower warned the american people on the final day of his residency in the white house as president that as he was departing the white house in january of 1961 with, with john f kennedy elected who would be coming in after his inauguration president eisenhower warned the american people of the military industrial complex and so it is in that context i read the story of president roosevelt but where it leaves us bob is that if president roosevelt had not died in april of 1945 the war came to an end in may of 1945 that is the war in europe and he had served his full term that is till the end of 1948 and then whoever would have been the president after him the ground would have been entirely different in other words as i mentioned the poet robert frost mm-hmm. of the road not taken right. you know and you choose to go one way and not the other way but if you had taken the other road then it would have been a completely different journey you know so i mean let me let me read those famous lines of um, robert frost the sure. concluding line it is it is just beautiful i mean he, what he says two roads diverge in a wood and i i took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference so the road that was not traveled on was a road that would have been traveled on if president roosevelt had lived on and served his term what would then be the road that we would have been on after roosevelt to our time well just imagine very quickly i mean well, no, this this would be based on what we know that roosevelt wanted to do right well that's absolutely true because what roosevelt wanted to do or what roosevelt did was at yalta he basically agreed that europe would be divided that was the cost of the war that the second european war the world war that began in 1939 with hitler's crossing into poland and the promise given to poland by britain to come to poland's defense began world war 2 in other words europe within a lifetime 20 years apart 1914 18 and then 1939 1945 engage in what can rightly be called two civil wars 
European civil wars. It was yeah, Napoleon. That's, that's, that's one way of looking at it. You know, it was what Napoleon said. Napoleon said, and that is a century earlier, that every European war is a civil war. It is a war among European people, whether it is dynastic or with the birth of the nation states. You know, it's funny. My parents were from Europe and they lived through the war. And my mother always used to say that they're always fighting because family members always fight. They're the cousins. They're all cousins and relatives to each other. And it's like a big right. family right. with some kind of internal fight going on all the time. Right. So coming back to Roosevelt, I mean, Roosevelt, the pre president, the only man in American politics who was elected four times by the American people. Right. So he was reelected. This was the third election in 1940. The war was going on in Europe. And President Roosevelt would not take America into the war. And he did not till Pearl Harbor happened, you know, two years after the war had started, more than two years after the war had started. And then Germans obliged the president by declaring war on America and the president went to war. That the president took America into a war that was a European civil war. So fast forward to 1945, president had made up his mind right from the outset that he would support Moscow, Soviet Union, Stalin, arm Stalin, provide him with all the assistance that is needed in terms of material. That's the Lend-Lease Agreement that he worked out with Stalin so that it would be the Russians who would break the backs of the German. And that is exactly what happened. Ernest Hemingway, the great Ernest Hemingway, you know, who was a war reporter in World War One, and subsequently, you know, in the Spanish Civil War and in, in the European Wars, the Second World War, great writer, Nobel Prize winner in literature, so on and so forth. This is what Hemingway said after the war. And let me quote him. Anyone who loves freedom owes such a debt to the Red Army that it can never be repaid. Most North American today most of my students, most of my faculty colleagues do not understand this, that we owe it to the Russians for the defeat of the Third Reich of Hitler's Germany, you know. And I know people talk about the deep state. And I hate that term and I love that term because I hate it because it actually exists. And I love it because it's an easy way to encapsulate what we're fighting. And government gangsters are the deep state. They are the people who sit atop these agencies and departments that are supposed to serve us, DOD, NSA, CIA, FBI, etc., whose leadership positions have been filled by these hacks who only care about their own egos and advancing their name in the fake news mafias. I do want to play something that I think is pretty historic that was spoken about over 60 years ago. And this is a portion of a speech by uh, John F. Kennedy when he was president. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation 
instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program. For from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. Okay, Salim, so Hemingway made that dramatic statement, and you're saying that a lot of people in, the, in your profession and your students do not see history that way, is that correct? I would say most, most North American. They have no memory. They have no understanding. Look, we are now talking about events that is coming up to almost 100 years. It's 80 years, you know? Well, for heaven's sakes, we can hardly remember things that happened three weeks ago, let alone... Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we are, when we are talking about Ukraine, the situation right now, and we are going back to understand how this progressed through history and where we came to, this history... Is not discussed in the media. Putin is a bad guy. Russians are the bad people. You know? What Hemingway is saying, these are the people who were there, witnesses, that anyone who lost freedom, and that is basically you and I in the terms mm -hmm. of our position in political philosophy, in politics, anyone who lost freedom owes such a debt to the Red Army that it can never be repaid. This sounds very similar to the scenario you painted for us some time ago with regard to the Civil War and Russia's role back in that period. Yeah, well, that goes back. So yeah. there, are, there, are, there are many instances, yeah. you know, I mean, that we can cite. That most people don't know about. Well, no, don't know about right. it. So our political leaders are operating in an ideology which has no historical background. Yeah, it's bizarre. Whether it's Justin Trudeau, whether it's Emmanuel Macron, whether it is Joe Biden, it doesn't matter. The whole lot of them. The whole lot of them are ignorant morons. Let's say it, what yeah. it is. And that's being polite. <laughs> yeah, that's being polite. I mean, uh, let me give you another uh, set of figures just to mm, put sure. this in context of what Hemingway is saying. The entire casualty of the Second World War for the Americans were under half a million, somewhere around about 450,000 men killed in action, wounded, and missing. Under half a million, okay? The Russian war casualty was 10 times that of the Americans. Take the four major battles that the Russian fought in defeating the German army of the Third Reich. Battle of Leningrad, total number killed, a million seventeen thousand eight hundred and eighty-one. Battle of Moscow, total number of killed and missing. This is Russian figure, six hundred and fifty-three thousand nine hundred twenty-four. Say six hundred fifty-four thousand. Operation Barbarossa, that is the opening of the war. Russia lost five hundred and sixty-six thousand eight hundred and fifty-two killed in action. Battle of Stalingrad, which was being fought right now as you and I are speaking, 
80 years ago, that is in 1943, Russia lost 478,741 killed in action. Battle of Kursk, again fought in 1943, Russia lost 432,317 killed or missing in action. When you add up these figures, in each of the battle, they lost more men than America lost in the entire war in Europe. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, when I see numbers like that, I see like a city the size of London here just disappear. Yes. And that's only one small fraction exactly. of the losses. So when Putin talks about denazification of Ukraine and our Jewish friends get very upset that according to the Jewish figures, Holocaust is 6 million Jews. Well, Russia lost close to 30 million people, 28 million plus in the war against Germany. That is five times the number of the people, the Jewish people, in the Holocaust. That's what Hemingway means, that those who love freedom owe such a debt to the Russian, to the Red Army, that they can never repay it. Okay? Roosevelt understood this. But can we say that they were really fighting for our freedom or for their own? Because they're in opposition to the Nazis, and the Nazis were coming after them. Well, is, is it fair? Is that a, a very broad statement to make? No, it is a statement to make that the way you're making it, and, 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 mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's a legitimate question to ask, and how do you respond to that? Well, I will respond to that. You know, I come from the part of the world I was born into where there are man-eating tigers. Yeah. You ever and, run into any? <laughs> yeah, in, in, in Bengal. I mean, it's famous. Oh, wow. You know, and, and there are books about man-eating tigers. So when someone, as an individual or as a family or as a group, go out on a hunt for a man-eating tiger... And then they find a tiger and slay that tiger. Are doing it only for themselves? Or they're doing it for the entire people who are, you know, potential prey to the man-eating tiger? Russia destroyed Germany. Therefore, Russia saved the world from the Third Reich and what would have followed if the Third Reich had come out victorious. Okay, then how does that fit into the argument that the Nazis won the war, if you look at it that way, and you look forward to our current situation? Well, that, that comes back to Roosevelt's premature death. Okay. That's the road that was not traveled on, because if Roosevelt had survived his full term, the world that he was putting together, that the shaping of the world after the war would have been much different than the world that was shaped in the absence of Roosevelt. Roosevelt took Stalin and Soviet Union. Good, bad, and ugly doesn't matter in world politics. It is the famous statement of Lord Palmerston, the 19th century prime minister in Britain, whose famous quote is that we have no eternal allies and we have no perpetual enemies. Our interests are eternal and perpetual, and those interests, it is our duty to follow. That is our interest. What is our interest? We don't have eternal enemies, and we don't have perpetual allies. George Washington fought the British to gain the independence of the 13 colonies, and then George Washington turned around and made peace with the British, and then Britain attacked the 13 colonies. That's the War of 1812 from America, from Canada. Yeah. Again, the Americans fought. 
Britain went all the way to Washington and burned down the Capitol, burned down the executive house, which later on is called the White House. Americans fought and defeated the British. Then what happened? They made again a relationship. So the point is, Roosevelt is going to defend America's interests. He didn't take America into the war until America was attacked, and then the war was declared. So the period in which America was, in a sense, neutral, it was providing material support at a price to the British, that's the Lend-Lease Agreement, and then when Germany attacked Russia with Operation Barbarossa in June 1941, America again provided material assistance to the Russians. The point to take into account is that post-1945 with Roosevelt, Roosevelt is the architect of the United Nations. This was done in discussion with the Soviets, that is with Stalin. And what was the agreement that was ratified in Yalta? That is, the Soviet Union will be an equal partner with the Americans in the Security Council, which will be the council that will basically run the world in terms of war and peace. Britain and France was added as members because Britain was an ally. France had been defeated, remember, France is an occupied country, but because of de Gaulle, as an ally, and because France had an empire, France was a very significant European power. France had supported the American Revolution, Lafayette and company. France was given a position in the Security Council. The other member in the Security Council that was included was China, that China will emerge one day again as a major civilizational power. But the key relationship was America and the Soviet Union. Both America and the Soviet Union holding the veto power. Both America and the Soviet Union going to become nuclear power. Both America and the Soviet Union are the military power that is going to control basically all the security issues of the world. That was an agreement. And there you have a, a world polarity based around Two now, nations. There would be polarity, and they had that. In other words, there had never been a situation. Go back as far as you want to Alexander the Great, or to the Roman Empire. There has never ever been a situation that one power has been the predominant power in the context of today's language, a unipolar power. You know, we've said all along about Trump and the white hats and the military is going to step forward and save this country and save us, and then to find out it's really most of the military that set this whole thing up against us. And I know, Lee, you're, you're going to say there's a lot of good guys in the military, which there are. It's not, that the, it's not that everybody in the military is a good guy. I think that there's factions. And again, we're linked to the Russians on this whole thing. I was talking to Scott Kesterson today, and he, he told me something I didn't realize. And that is, I've been following the Ukrainian war, but one of the things that I've noticed just in Ukraine is that I never see the real Russian army. Everything I see are the PMC Wagner group. Okay, and this is a private group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and it's been around for years. And that was what Putin used to clean out the Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. The Russian army was dirty, just like we've got dirty things going on in our military. And so he had this privately funded group that cleaned 
the thing out and are now on the front lines. I think when they take Bakhmut, it could be over because this does get to what's happening, I think, in America. You know, they could have gone in there and just flattened Ukraine very quickly and have been over. But that's not what the point was. What the point is that they've disarmed NATO and they're disarming our military, the part that if you believe in Trump and the White Hats, that they don't control. So they've slowly been grinding down NATO, France, Germany and England have all complained they don't have any weapons, don't have any ammo anymore. So they can make the weapons. We can't. Their NATO can't. And we are uh, sending now more and more equipment over that seems to be immediately destroyed, which is also kind of interesting. So when you look at what's happening in America and you look at these guys all coming across the border, military aged men, and where are they going? I had, a, I had somebody tell me the other night here in Florida that she lives in Washington and in Washington state, you know, they had all these hotels and motels go out of business. They were bought up by somebody, but she sees them stashing these people in these hotels. Now that makes the liberals feel good because they say, oh, aren't we being nice to these illegals coming across? But to me, it could be that it's just, now we know where they are. They're not dispersed everywhere. They're well, codified. It's the, same, it's the same thing that's been happening in the UK. You know, well, that all of those, all those really nice hotels are just with putting these illegal Albanians up in various really nice hotels all across London well, yeah. and in all these places. I can tell you here, I've seen them putting them in Costco's and Motel 6. And that's a very good way to codify where these people are when you need to take them out. The other thing I note is that nobody in the Biden administration ever mentions Cheyenne Mountain or the Space Force. So first of all, there's never been a monolithic military, but I think we're dealing with factions. And then there's this creepy story out of Utah that Delta Force and Blackwater had a skirmish, leaving a bunch of Blackwater dead. Now, I don't know who the good guys, bad guys would be there, but the point is, do we have private military working on a take back? By the way, there are Russian and Chinese ships. This is provable off both coasts right now, our, our coasts, you know, off the east and west coast. There's military ships, Russian and Chinese. That's very worrisome to me. And Scott's point was, is think about it. If we're in, about to do the military take back of our country, Remember who helped us in the Civil War? It was the Russians. That's why the House of Rothschild and, has, and the banking houses of Europe have sworn unending enmity against the House of Romanov. So they could just be there to guard our six, those ships. Well, what would uh, China's ships being there? Because Russia and Chinese are cooperating now. The other thing happening in China, you know, after Hu Jintao got taken out, they're saying that the CCP is being dismantled by the old families, the old Chinese families, you know, the long historical families of China who lost everything in the communist Chinese takeover, which is really run by, for lack of a better word, the Khazarian Mafia. The descendants of the Rockefellers, for example, were over there and they say a bunch of them have been taken out. I can't prove any of this. This is just all the stuff that little tidbits that drop that I'm trying to make a picture out of. But it could be this is really, we really are seeing a take back happening and it's just about to happen here. And that's why the ships are off there. Carrie, did you want to say anything about uh, DARPA, BARDA, Department of Defense? It all really has its origins from World War II and the Nazis. Everything, World Health Organization, the United Nations, Codex Alimentarius, everything we're dealing with stems back from World War II, the Nazis. And this is just a continuation of their plan. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. 
we ended on the last quarter talking about unipolar, and the whole idea of a unipolar concept sounds to me almost like an anti-concept, because polar always implies two, north and south, east and west, plus or minus, positive or negative, left and right. And yet when we talk about unipolar or multipolar, we're almost bastardizing that word. We're turning it into an anti-concept. Is that the right term, or is it just the best one we can come up with relative to a real polar situation, which is what you just described, between Russia and America, which didn't include anybody else. Now, when other powers come in, do they become a polarity of themselves, or are they just, a, say, another element of the two polar major powers? Well, the idea of unipolar in this sense is basically one power. The world is structured right. around I, one power. That's all, you know. Uh, but there's there nothing is, polar about it. <laughs> in fact, unipolar is the negation of polarity, right. you might say. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It meant not polar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but in 1945, it was clearly understood. And that's the world that was being shaped under the power and authority of President Roosevelt. So if you take that into account, what is the picture that comes in your mind, to anybody's mind, after 45? The picture that comes into mind is the dropping of the A-bomb, immediate context, the dropping of the A-bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, the picture that comes into mind is the Berlin crisis of 1948. The picture that comes into mind is the whole sort of madness that seized the American people and politician, the question who lost China, as if it is America who owned China, therefore America lost China, as, right. if, as if China does not have its own agency, you know. So who lost China became the polarity in American politics between the left and the right. And so the hunt for the communists, everybody who is in any way supportive of the idea of United Nations and supportive of the idea of a relationship with Soviet Union is considered to be pro-communist or weak on communism, therefore they're red. Right. And, and the red baiting that began. What did that red baiting lead to? Well, it led to America becoming a surveillance state the creation of CIA, the creation of the National Security Agency. And with the CIA and the National Security Agency, America then engages in surreptitious war, undeclared war, in any part of the world in which America sees its control or influence being challenged. First within the Western Hemisphere, Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and then the Cuba in the 1950s, and then outside the Western sphere in East Asia on the Pacific, the Korean War, who lost China, and then on to the Vietnam War. All of this is a result of this view that emerged after Roosevelt was gone, that Russia is our enemy, and we have to fight Russia. We have to defend our interests anywhere and everywhere against communism in Russia. That became the agenda of America. That became the agenda of the American deep state that emerged as CIA, as, as NSA, you know, the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned about. What was then the casualties of that? 
Well, the casualties were one, American people who were sent to war, undeclared war around the world, you know. And then those casualties came home. The most significant casualty with which you might say the entire 20th century is stamped after Roosevelt is the murder of John F. K. We now know it was the deep state that carried out the murder. Why did the deep state carry out the murder? Because John F. K., like Roosevelt, understood that this perpetual war for perpetual peace leads to the situation where America is being transformed from a constitutional republic into an empire. Yes, that's an unusual term to apply to modern politics, that's for sure. Precisely. So let me put it in this context, that if Roosevelt had served the term and then handed power to the next president, one can then imagine that all that I have run through and much more that can be added to the list that I have run through would likely not have taken place because there was no indication that President Roosevelt was out into engaging with Russia in a perpetual war situation. He understood a line will be drawn because the Soviet army would come into Berlin. And that was an agreed thing because Americans were not going to die to liberate Germany. That would be the task that the Russians would do. Nor would it be the task of the British. In fact, at the end of the war, Britain, that was the world's greatest empire in 1939, going into the war, coming out of the war, Churchill basically led to the destruction and end of the empire. Britain just became an island country. Very rapidly, within a matter of less than a decade, Mm -hmm. the British empire was gone. Okay, so it is basically America and Russia, Washington and Moscow to military power, but America is also the economic power. America had come out of the war with almost half of the world's GDP under America. America was unscathed by the war, so Mm -hmm. was Canada. So the war had basically destroyed Europe, and the war had destroyed Russia. So it would be the recovery. President Roosevelt would have offered the program of recovery. That is exactly what Truman did. But it would have come under President Roosevelt's stamp, you know, what came to be known later as Marshall Plan. Mm -hmm. But what I am suggesting is the events that followed without Roosevelt, that is the war in Korea, the question of China, the question of Middle East. You know, it was under Eisenhower that by a coup, an elected, democratically elected leader of Iran was removed by the Americans and the British, MI6. That is, uh, Mohammad Mossadegh, who was the Prime Minister of Iran, elected Prime Minister of Iran in 1953, and, and the Shah of Iran had fled away. He was removed, and the Shah was brought back home. You see, this history, again, is not well discussed and not well known. So that event of 1953 in Iran was played back in spades 25 years later with the revolution in Iran that deposed the Shah. 
brought to power a religious clergy under the leadership of Ayatollah Khomeini that led to the hostage crisis and so on and the wars of the Middle East. Okay, that would not have happened with Roosevelt. It would not have happened with Roosevelt on the question of Israel, the way well, that, Israel that, that, came about. That, of course, assumes that Roosevelt, had he lived, would have had the support that he needed. But even if he had lived, wouldn't he still have had the same enemies around him and the same forces working against him that could have turned history in a totally different direction again? Absolutely. He would have had the same enemy. We are talking about, in this case, in a democracy, the domestic enemy. Mm -hmm. I mean, they would have been there. What is the difference between Roosevelt? Now we can look back and put the, connect the dots. What's the difference between Roosevelt and Biden? <clears throat> difference between Roosevelt and Obama, Roosevelt and Clinton, Roosevelt and George Bush, both father and son. The difference, I suggest to you, is Roosevelt was America first. Yeah. Who is the next America first president? John F. K. Who's the next America first president after John F. K.? Ronald Reagan. And then who's the next America first president? Donald Trump. What is an America first president? America first president is following the policy set by the founding fathers. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Quincy Adams. This is what John Quincy Adams said. This is what he said. Just let me read it out to you. I brought the quotation with me. Mm -hmm. Wherever the standard of freedom and independence has been or shall be unfurled, there will her America's heart, her benedictions, and her prayers be. But she goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom and independence of all. She is the champion and vindicator only of her own. She does not go out in search of monsters to destroy. What was President Trump's charge against George W. Bush during the 2016 primary, the Iraq war, the endless wars of the Middle East, mm -hmm. you know, and that he would bring back Americans home. And that's what he did during yeah. the next four years. There was no war that President Trump started or President Trump supported. Whatever the wars were taking place were wars that had been landed on his desk because of the actions of previous presidents. Right. That's George W. Bush in Afghanistan, in the Middle East, in Syria with Obama, and so on. Not won by President Trump. NATO is about to be defeated. NATO is obsolete. NATO is incompetent. NATO is arrogant and ignorant, and this combination will lead to its demise. And what you're seeing right now with these NATO nations committing main battle tanks and probably F-16 fighters to the Ukraine-Russia conflict, what you're actually seeing, I think, and, and I'm not the first one to come up with this, they're covering their butts for the defeat of NATO and the military defeat of Ukraine. And by covering their butts, what I mean is when Ukraine is defeated and NATO is also defeated, these countries don't want to be the ones that get all the finger pointing and say, well, you didn't do enough. You didn't donate tanks. You didn't donate planes or ammunition or what have you. So they're all lining up right now to try not to take the blame. Now, what does this have to do with you and me? 
understand that it is the military dominance of the West that has given strength to the petrodollar status since the end of World War II. You know, Bretton Woods, 1944. And, you know, essentially the, the, the bargain with America since that time was, hey, uh, everybody, all you other countries in the world, you use our dollar to buy oil or else we will bomb you and kill you. That, that's essentially what has driven uh, the U.S. empire and its uh, philosophies, at least its international uh, geopolitical philosophies and financial policies and so on. So with the defeat of NATO, which will likely happen in the next year or two, the U.S. will look even weaker. The world will know that the U.S. military is no longer the dominant unipolar power around the world. And it will cause all of these other nations to realize, hey, we don't need to be bullied by the U.S. empire any longer. We don't have to use the dollar. And in fact, looky here, uh, China has a digital yuan and, and Russia and Iran and Brazil and India and the BRICS nations, they have all this new you know, commodities-backed global reserve currency you know, transactional system. And they're not bullying us. And they're not bombing us. They just want to trade with us, right? So all these other countries around the world are going to tell the U.S. to go pound sand. They're going to say, we don't want your dollars. We don't want your politics. We don't want your wokeism. We don't want your U.S. empire nonsense. You're, you're just a bunch of recycled fascist Nazis. Well, the globalists, uh, they want to see America destroyed. And the best way in their minds to do that is to have the United States nuked with uh, Russian nuclear weapons. And nuke Washington, D.C. is what they might do. New York City, you know, Los Angeles, Houston, other strategic targets and infrastructure targets. And this will all be blamed on Russia, but the, the after effects of this will be the destruction of the once United States, which will collapse into region states. So you'll have a breakup of America, which weakens the country as a whole which is exactly what the globalists want. So this is very likely what's coming if we stay on this current course of escalation. It seems obvious that uh, Biden and Blinken and uh, the other lunatics in the, the State Department are uh, deliberately trying to see an escalation of this conflict to the point where Russia nukes America. That's what they want. Now, can the U.S. and NATO credibly raise that threat? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure, and, and I hope that Russia refrains from you know, launching nuclear weapons, obviously. Do you think it would be possible, if you were an intellectual uh, like you are at the beginning of the 20th century, would you be able to predict the rest of the 20th century? No. I, I don't think at all. I think there were so many out of nowhere turns that no one would have seen their, them coming. For And as an example, Lenin seizing power and making the Bolshevik revolution a reality was regarded as utopian and insane. Uh, the fact that he pulled it off is close to miraculous and it was quite literally unprecedented. So that's a very big one. Which aspect of it, sorry to interrupt, which aspect was hard to predict that a singular figure with just some ideas would be able to t take so much power? 
that, and 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 maintain that power and remake that society so drastically so quickly despite such opposition. Also, not just a set of temporary protests by hooligans that lead to um, turmoil in the short term, but then stabilizes, but literally changes the entirety of the society. Yeah, Ludendorff, who is the German general, he's like, all right, we got to get this, the Russians out of World War One. He's the one who's like, all right, let's get this lunatic Lenin who already tried tried and failed to have a revolution in Russia. Let's send him back there. And he's just going to cause problems to everybody. And it's going to be great because it's going to weaken Russia. And then our uh, Eastern Front isn't going to have to be a problem. And then to his surprise and everyone else's, including, you know, anarchists and communists worldwide, uh, they pulled off this, you know, October Revolution. And then for a while, it's like, all right, I mean, I mean, I think my understanding is even people at the time in St. Petersburg and in Moscow were like, what, what does this even mean, right? Like, no one took it seriously. And then very quickly, you had the Cheka and, and the secret police and all these other kind of implementations of the, you know, the communist state. And people are like, oh, they're not messing around. But they're like, all right, this is, this is not going to last for, for long. And, you know, the USA, uh, the US and day, we didn't even recognize the Soviet Union's legitimacy for a very long time. There were no diplomatic relations. And after a certain point, it's like, who's the, if you don't recognize Lenin and, and Stalin's government, who's the government of, this, of Russia or the Soviet Union? Is it the czar? Like, you have to recognize it. It's just, it's, they're not going anywhere. So that was something that was not, I think, very uh, um, uh, predictable. The Great Depression... Uh, in retrospect, there were certain things that were predictable, but it was not at all the case that it needed to last as long as it did in the States as FDR made it do. So there's all sorts of things. I mean, if they uh, um, uh, fought Germany's remilitarization, you know, World, War, World War II could have been prevented. If you didn't have the Treaty of Versailles, would you have the hyperinflation? Would you have Hitler? These are all, I think, choose your own adventure moments where things could have gone in other directions. I, 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 I don't I don't believe this kind of idea. This, this is a very Marxist idea that like uh, history is inevitable. And once you start with certain premises, the contradictions kind of unfold. I, I think that's ridiculous. Okay, Salim, we're, we're looking to the future 2023 and beyond, as you said. Are we looking at a nightmare of a future or are, are things going to turn around and get better just as a broad sense of your history projected well, there is, forward. There, there is a nightmare that we are looking at right now, as you know, uh, the recent statement by the German foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, who came out openly in her parliament and said that we Europeans are at war with Russia. So that was yeah. a statement in which no longer the matter of the US-led proxy war is any more disguised or hidden. The theater of war is Ukraine, and Europe is waging this war against Russia. At well, the doesn't, that, doesn't, doesn't that open the theater up wider then? Or didn't she just open well, up Germany to be well, a legitimate does, target? That's, that's the looming peril that was always there, but now it's no longer disguised. And that includes Canada under American leadership, because NATO is basically, you know, America's arm on military affairs in Europe. And EU is again a creation in some ways of the American power that all of these member states have become now co-belligerent against Russia. And when you become co-belligerent, against another party, then that party, you know, the logic of war can attack you, can you preempt you, yeah. you know, can target you. So all of it from London, Washington, Berlin, Paris to Canada, we are all now in a sense as co-belligerent <laughs> 
you know. I'm still sitting here, you know, I'm still sitting here thinking, I cannot believe what I'm seeing because I can't think of a single reason to go to war with Russia. I cannot think of a single one. And it's just beyond bizarre that this should have been allowed to get this far. But this goes back to, again, uh, uh, this whole discussion so far about Roosevelt and post-Roosevelt. Yeah. You know, post-Roosevelt, America becomes a empire. It is no longer a constitutional republic. It is no longer the people who are guiding America's policy, both domestically and foreign, are driven by America first consideration. They are driven by the multilateral interests of the empire, which but is now even, controlled even, even. by the military-industrial complex, to which we might now add the big pharma, you know, yeah. and, and, and the big tech and so on and so forth. So America is no longer and has not been. That's what the tragedy of Roosevelt's early death that people need to grasp, which is what I'm trying to go back to and explain. Because what happened after Roosevelt was America's engagement, whether it was in Korea, whether it was confrontation with China over Taiwan, and then subsequently the 15 years of warfare in Vietnam, which, by the way, John F. Kennedy would have ended. He was not going to go into that mm -hmm. war. And that was one of the other reasons that led to his death, was that all of these wars were based on lies, misinformation, and the consideration of the empire, that is the Soviet Union and communism. You know, Vietnam, for instance, again, you know, the communism will expand, the, the idea of dominoes will fall to the communists, was based upon a resolution. The Gulf of Tonkin resolution was a pack of lies. We all know that now, except that we don't discuss it. The media doesn't discuss it. What happened? Three million Vietnamese, Cambodians, Laotians died. Chemical warfare was used by the Americans. 58,000 Americans died. And then the war ended. And why? Because the Americans had decided to come home. And Vietnam is there. In other words, America had been engaged in these perpetual wars for the reasons that has nothing to do with the security interests of America. The security of the interest of America is to protect its southern border right now, which is open and people are pouring wait, wait, in. Which begs the question, because even if they saw themselves as an empire, even then, I still can't see a reason to, to attack any of these other countries, including well, Russia. Well, the empire has a global interest, or whatever well, it, it seeks to extend its border. It is not a nation state. What was Britain doing fighting the Boer War in 1900? Maybe what I'm missing is I, my, my big question is to what end? Like, what, what the hell is your the, purpose? The, 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 I don't the, see the, a purpose. The, the ends of the empire. Yeah, well, that's another uh, thing to uh, me. It is, it, is, it is money, it is profit, it is trade, business, but ultimately it is power and control. Why don't they try capitalism instead? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it, 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 it doesn't matter whether it is capitalism or uh, a socialism or whatever the ism you want to say. I mean, when, when, when Hitler talked about a thousand-year Third Reich, thousand year, yeah. right? It lasted it, almost that many days. It, it ended in 12 <laughs> years, yeah. thanks to the Russian army or Soviet army. What was his ideology? Nazism, race-based ideology. 
German Teutonic race, Aryan race, superior, everybody else untermenschen. Right. Slave labor. So empire has its own unique logic. That is, those who control the empire, those who rule the empire, and the rest are serf. The founding fathers made it very clear that it was not their business to go out seeking monsters to destroy. And that's why James Monroe, after the 1812 war, drew the Monroe Doctrine, the red line in the Western Hemisphere. Were they seeking monsters to destroy or were they creating monsters? Well, it comes both. At that time, it was a republic, so it was not going to seek monsters. Yeah. When you become empire, anybody who questions the empire becomes somebody that you have to destroy. You create the monster and then you destroy the monster. So things aren't looking too good for us in the situation we're in right now. Do you see us coming out of 2023 intact? Well, what we're looking at is that if by some good fortune we survive this war in Ukraine not going nuclear, because if it goes nuclear, there's nothing further to talk about. There will be cascading events that will follow a nuclear war, which will be the end of civilization. At I don't know. I think, I think that's an assumption. I don't know that that's a given. Well, it's an, it's an assumption that you cannot just slide it away. It is an assumption that has to be taken into account when you're planning or thinking about the future. Yes, I agree. At the same time, the, the first time nuclear weapons were used in World War II, the other side didn't have any. Right. And that makes a big difference. It makes not only a big difference that technology of 1945 is no longer what we're talking about. No. We are talking about in 80 years how far the technology has gone, you know. That even, the high, e even the high-end conventional weapons are more destructive than the 15-kiloton A-bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Right. So we have now, in one cruise missile, maybe a hundred times more powerful nuclear weapon that was used in Hiroshima. We have to imagine what will be the world like the morning after a nuclear war breaks out. The public cannot know, and the public do not know, and the public have no imagination because there is no reference point from the past to tell us what will be the morning after a nuclear bomb. So we have to imagine that. But the day after the nuclear bomb, one thing we can imagine, again, I'm emphasizing the word imagine, a complete blackout. There's no electric power. Everything is frozen. We, we might be alive, but we come out, you know, nothing moves. Mm -hmm. No communication. No, no way to go out and restore some sort of normalcy to life. Panic. Deaths. Deaths by radiation. Deaths by poisoning. This cascading effect would be possibly more profound for the living, those who are dead and evaporated, they're gone, and the living will be envying the dead. But for the living, the cascading effect will be more profound because they will die incrementally every minute that they're alive. Out of fear psychosis, out of the panic, out of the run on the banks. Is it not possible we're already in that situation, given that Possibly. most of the people have already taken the, these deadly jabs? 
Uh, well, is that almost not the same type of a holocaust that we got sitting on our no, doorstep? No, it's not the same because we're talking about that, that the deadly jab, what the hypothesis is, that it will work its way through on individuals who have been jabbed over X period of time. We are already seeing mm -hmm. that rising curve of excess mortality. Right. Okay, that That's how radiation works, too, from nuclear fallout. Right, but, but radiation works far more grievously because my premise was that, first of all, an electromagnetic pulse will wipe out all energy. Well, we're told it'll wipe out all of our computers and everything, everything. too. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Life will come to an end as, as we take it for granted at this moment that you and I are sitting across this studio and talking. It'll be over in a flash. So those who have not been evaporated by that flash will be living zombies going down a path to their certain end. But in between the point of going down the path to the certain end, there will be chaos that we cannot imagine, anarchy that we cannot imagine. Mm -hmm. So... If we survive this, and, and this, this war does not, I mean, we do not end up in a nuclear war, uh, Robert, what we are then going to see coming out of this Ukraine war will be an entirely new world order. Not the new world order of George Bush, the senior, that right. is globalism. It will be an entirely new world order. That means the end of the American century that began with the end of World War II, 1945, and the beginning of a truly multipolar world. A truly multipolar world which will be, in which we will see Russia, China, India, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, etc., will become new alliances, will become new centers of power, and the world will move on to what I have written about and talked about previously, the end of the Atlantic Age, which began, say, around about 1500, with the age of discovery, mm -hmm. Columbus, Magellan, Vasco da Gama, and so on. So that was the Atlantic Basin. And it is in the Atlantic Basin that modernization began, modernity began, Renaissance, Reformation, Counter-Reformation, Scientific Revolution, Industrial Revolution, and so on, the Age of Enlightenment. The 500 years at which the Atlantic Basin that takes in North America and Western Europe was the seat of the making of the modern world will come to an end. It will move from the Atlantic Basin to the Pacific Basin right. with the rise of China, Russia, and allied countries and powers. Well, who knows, by the time we get together next time, we might already have some of those questions resolved. You never know. Not uh, resolved, but possibly Further down the further road, down on, the road on, right. on, on the way forward. Well, thank you for joining us on this conversation, Salim. And I guess uh, the question I have that we can always solve in the future is, you know, is history repeating or is it merely an eternal continuum of unchanging events with changing players? That's both a mystery and a challenge that we shall continue to investigate when you join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then.
into color and color into black and white under the bedclothes everything will be alright Oh, there's certain advantages to living in a dictatorship that you maybe don't appreciate every day, huh? A Chinese guy never has to look at his leader on TV and go, Oh! I can't believe I voted for that jackass! <laughs>